Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to Vineyard Community Church as we continue on in a new series we started last week called Developing Well. And uh, this, this series rolls out of the series we spent a long time on uh, called Do You Want to Get Well? And it's, it's really kind of still a part of that series. I just gave it a different name so I could change. So, so uh, uh, what we're going to talk about in, in this series is we're going to use the Beatitudes as our foundation. And we're going to work through the Beatitudes together. And that having been people that said yes to Jesus' question, do you want to get well? Um, and then just pressing on in that. Um, the Beatitudes, I think, are a, a great way of looking at um, life as a citizen in the kingdom of God. And um, the realization as we read them, the realization you should have from them is apart from the help, uh, apart from God's help and, and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, you can't even get close to living out the Beatitudes um, they, they are radically different from the culture in, in, in virtually everything you can think about. And um, they were certainly shaking up the established religious community at Jesus' time as he starts the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. And it is, it is basically throughout Matthew 5, 6, and 7 undoing um, the mess that had taken place that was keeping people from God to open that, uh, that, that access back to God up. And, and so he's teaching. Um, with these beatitudes, what life should look like as a citizen of the kingdom of God, as a follower of Jesus. What, what, what's supposed to be happening in us as the Holy Spirit continues to work in us and through us that these changes should take place. And they're radically different from the culture. They're even radically different from what the culture often thinks of as, well, those are good people. Um, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to spin everything upside down. And, and so it's great for us to look at and reflect on what's happening in this process. So we're going to dig in more into the second beatitude today. I know you like me to do something different, moving out of the intro into the whole thing, so I, I like this. So the teacher says to Bobby, she says to little Bobby, she says, hey, how do you spell wrong? And Bobby says, R-O-N-G. And the teacher says, well, that's wrong. And Bobby says, isn't that what you asked for? Anyway, ah, I enjoy it. Also, something else I figured out this week, and this is just something to ponder. You want to know one thing almost everybody lies about? I have read and agree to the terms of service. Who does have that much time? But the way they write it, you've, it says you've read it, and you check it, and you haven't. Oops. Just something to ponder. That's why we need Jesus. The scripture reading goes here on purpose because of the incredibly bad silence that I'm experiencing right now. This is out of the message paraphrase. This is Isaiah 61. I actually read this in last week's sermon in the NIV, but I wanted you to see it in the paraphrase. I think it's very good. Isaiah 61, beginning in verse 1. The Spirit of God, the Master, is on me because God anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, heal the heartbroken. Announce freedom to all captives. Pardon all prisoners. God sent me to announce the year of his grace, a celebration of God's destruction of our enemies, and to comfort all who mourn, to care for the needs of all who mourn in Zion. Give them bouquets of roses instead of ashes, messages of joy instead of news of doom, a praising heart instead of a languid spirit. Rename them oaks of righteousness planted by God. To display his glory. Blessed be the word of the Lord. 
So I brought that up last week as we looked at the first beatitude, which is in Matthew 5.3. And, and last week we talked about what it means to be poor in spirit. And that first beatitude sets the foundation for all the rest of them by helping us to realize our desperate need for God and turn to Jesus for life and find and experience the kingdom of heaven. It all starts with that first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And, and the beatitudes, as I, as I said last week, will build on one another through this process. But, but um, it's not like we finally get to the eighth one and then we can go, okay, I'm done number eight and I've arrived and I don't need any more work. Um, throughout the process of going through them, you'll come back all the time. And, you, and if you're like me, I, I don't know if you're exactly like me, I come back to the first one all the time. I come back to that first one all the time because that's where, where I find life. Life comes in the reality that, that I desperately need Jesus for everything. And every time I start to get out there and, and forget how much I need Jesus, um, fortunately the mercy of God usually brings me back pretty quickly because it's, it's not good out there. Uh, outside of Jesus, it's not good. And uh, I don't want to do things in my own strength because they don't count. They don't matter. There's no life in them. I, I want to, I you know, do my best to live for him. And, and, you know, we get to experience life in him, and it's just so amazing. So anyway, this, this idea of um, um, brokenness and the things that we talked about last week, being poor in spirit and the reality and, and holding it in tension because, um, you know, we, we don't want to get to the spot, you know, well, we're so bad, we're so terrible. It's not that because we've been forgiven but, but we need to look at this and the reality of this. And, and so these first two Beatitudes kind of work together so that we, we get them in a proper spot so that we are trusting in Jesus above everything else and not in our own strength and realizing that life comes as we, as we, as we you know, move into him and, and graft into him and as we abide in him. All those other verses begin to make sense in this process. And so he comes up with another toughie right off the, you know, the get-go, blessed are the poor in spirit is where it started. And now the next, very next thing that he teaches on is this, verse five, uh, Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And, and like I said, on the surface it seems crazy. Happy are the sad is what it's saying there, in effect. Happy, happy are the sad. And you think, well, that's not, no, happy are the happy, sad are the sad. But not according to Jesus. He says, blessed are those who mourn because they will be comforted. And he, he's tying this in to the first thing that he taught about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and is part of this process. See, we have to grow through these things in the Lord. So the first point in your notes is this. What does it mean to mourn? What does it mean to mourn? Now, we talk here all the time about Jesus being our model for life and ministry. And as it, at some point, as we hold in tension the brokenness of our lives that we talked about in the first beatitude, um, we begin to realize how utterly incapable we are of ever living up to his standard in our own strength. That, that's a realization we need to get to. We can't do this thing in our own strength. We really um, should see at some point how full of sin we are and and how despite the beauty of, of his way, his life, um, that we often do exactly the opposite. We do. We, we sometimes do exactly the opposite of, of what we know to be the beauty of his way in this struggle. And, and the proper response that Jesus is talking about in this whole process 
is, is ultimately to mourn our own sin and the sin of the world. Um, and in that, it's the sorrow of repentance. It's, it's grief over our sin and how it affects us and continues to affect us, how it's affected others and continues to affect others and, and, and how it's affected God, really in the process. And, and you know, we, I touched on this in, some, in the last series, the, the reality that it, it's my sin that sent Jesus to the cross. Um, you know, that, that, that reality hits me sometimes. Now, I've, I told you that, that God in his mercy balances that with that verse about, you know, that, that Jesus went to the cross for the joy. He endured it for the joy set before him and that we're the joy. So he balances that out for us. But still, this is the reality that my mess, my sin, my bad choices um, have impacted everything in my life. They've impacted me. They've impacted the people I'm in relationship with and they had a, you know, a, a direct impact on God. That's a pretty, when you take that in, that's a pretty serious and deep reality and concept um, that, that we have to deal with. The world is fallen. The planet's broken. My sin caused it. Uh, you could look for a lot of places to blame, but that, you know, not without looking at my sin. It's just like everybody else's, it caused a problem. I, I can't fix it in my own strength. Um, life doesn't work. I'd like it to. You know, I wish that it would, but life doesn't work all the time. It's because the, it's fallen and broken. Uh, sin has, has messed it up. And, and uh, that whole realization is, is painful. And, and um, we, we push that thought away a lot. I get that. We don't, you know, we don't want to deal that. And, and really, the culture doesn't want to look at it all. The, the culture doesn't want to mourn the mess of the world around us. What the culture desperately wants to do is just try and escape it. Um, they, they don't want to deal with, with this part of the process. And yet, unless we, unless we move in through this, we can't experience the life to, at the magnitude that, that God wants us to experience it. Um, you know, you think about in our culture the amount of money and energy and enthusiasm that's used solely in the pursuit of pleasure as the ultimate goal of life. That, that, that culturally, that's kind of the, the standard that, that the ultimate pursuit of life is, is pleasure. And, and so much time and energy and money is spent in that direction. Now, I say that. Don't get me wrong. Pleasure is not a bad thing. God created it. Um, and, and so it's, a, it's not a bad thing. It just shouldn't be our goal. But, but because of our, our twist and our sin and the brokenness of the world around us, it's become the goal instead of a, a byproduct of a, a life in the Lord. And, 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 you know, really experiencing the things of God is, is what was supposed to happen but it's, it's all gotten messed up by the brokenness and by the adversary and, and all the things that are happening. So, so here, here we, we are, and, and, and um, the, the thing is, we have this deep longing for something that, that can't be satisfied by anything that the world has to offer. You know, that's the problem with, with making pleasure your pursuit is that, that even if you attain it, you still get empty. You're still empty. It's, still, it never, it's never satisfied in your own strength, so it, it, it doesn't work, because there's nothing in the world that can, can ultimately satisfy the longing that, that all of us have, and um, I, I, I like to refer to that longing that's there, it's, it's that it's a longing for heaven, it's a longing for heaven, and, and there's something that's comforting in realizing what it is, so you quit trying to fill it with things that never work, and that's the whole point of this, this beatitude. But, but what, I, what I think is that most people don't have any idea or concept of what this longing for heaven feels like when they experience it. 
And so what happens is we know deep down that there's something better than what we're experiencing. We get that. We, we get that there's something better. There's, there's got to be something better. Even as good as it gets, there's, there's got to be something better. And yet no matter how hard we try to make everything work, it just never does. There's still this, this empty place. And so we try and fill this emptiness with all sorts of things. We, we, yeah, and some, some of them seem like, okay, uh, you know, uh, culturally, like things like, you know, well, I, 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 can't, I can't deal with this long, so I'm just going to get busy so I don't have to deal with it. And so we just start getting really busy, and we fill up our lives with busyness and moving. So we just kind of, we push through the day with so many activities and things, so we never stop where we're just kind of quiet and think we just push through, and, 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 and you know, until we sort of collapse at the end of the day, and then we start all over. A lot of people kind of go through life like that. Uh, sometimes we try and fill it with, with things and, and situations that, not, not that, that busyness is okay, but are even less okay, like drugs and alcohol, immorality, all sorts of, we try and, we're going to try and fill this, this mess rather than, than even look to it. And, and then sometimes, you know, we, um, we, we get, to, we try and recreate sort of memories from our past that seem to represent happier times to us. Uh, and I think that's why nostalgic shows and songs are always so popular um, that, that they trigger stuff in us that, that we, we just think of, well, that was a better time. That was a happier time. What you've done is you've blocked all the mess because it was just as broken then. You just have forgotten about it and you've, you've in your, you selectively are remembering some of the good things. And isn't it fascinating how, how a, 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 like a, a theme song to a television show or a song played on the radio or, or a, a smell of something baking that you like, or something like that, can trigger off these feelings in you that are, that are suddenly you're all, and, and you're at the same time very, very sad, and yet there's this, this thing that's like, well, it's not quite like that, and, and so we try and recreate um, some of those memories sometimes, and, uh, um, you know, as we approach the holidays, this becomes a huge deal. We try and, we try and recreate holidays from the past, and, 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 you know, the whole Martha Stewart thing, we go all out with Thanksgiving and everything, and, and this year's going to be different. We're going to invite the family in, and they're all going to get along, and, you know, we're going to sit around the piano and sing, and everybody's going to bless one another, and it's just going to be this marvelous time, and it doesn't happen, no matter how hard we try. We spend all day making dinner. It gets wolfed down in about four minutes, and people go and pass out in the chairs, and there you go. Happy Thanksgiving. But, but see, we, we, we put expectations on it that aren't reasonable, and then, the, and then we never recreate. So, so it, it's, it just can't happen. You know, we're, we're trying to fix things that can't, that can't be fixed. Because um, the reality is, and this is ultimately what we have to mourn, the longing of heaven can't be satisfied this side of heaven. And, and it, it, it's there to remind us that, that this is not our home. And this isn't as good as it gets. We get tastes of eternity now, but not the whole banquet. So rather than be consumed with trying to satisfy completely that longing now, we need to mourn the brokenness that our sin has, has caused us to live in a fallen world on a broken planet, and, and, and that everything is broken here, including us. And, and so... There's something life-giving, believe it or not, in what I'm saying right now. No, you think, well, this is depressing. But, but it's not. It's freeing. It allows us to experience life in ways that we can't, see? Because we're, we're going to quit trying to fix it in our own strength, and we're just going to start flowing into the life 
that God has for us, which is an amazing life. It's what we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks in this series. But see, if, we, if we're busy trying to pretend that everything's okay, then what happens is every, every reminder of the brokenness that happens, we take extremely personally. And it's like, a, like an attack. Uh, um, you know, it, it's, it's like a, uh, our plans. We have these ideas how we're going to make everything work. And then every little thing that happens to get that just, just really floors us completely. And we start going, well, why does this always happen to me? And we get mad and we look for people to blame. Or, you know, or, we, or we even, we ultimately, we blame God a lot for those things. And, and then sometimes we think, well, I'm being punished or something, you know, that it never works out. But, but the deal is, this, this isn't heaven. And everything's broken. Sin caused it to be broken. And, and so, you know, if, you, if you're really looking for someone to get mad at that's helpful, well, get mad at the, the, the enemy, the adversary. It's his fault. He deceived us into thinking that we could be like God. He got us kicked out of paradise in the first place. And now he continues to try and deceive us into blaming God for the brokenness that he caused, that we bought into, that we caused by our sin. And, and then we continue to go on sinning, um, trying to be like God by fixing everything that's broken or trying to fill the emptiness with things that don't matter. Paul said this in Romans 7, 15 through 25. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I, if I, do, not, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it. Sin, it's sin living in me. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who did it, but to do it. But it's sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Verse 25, thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Where am I ever going to find life, Paul was saying. I'm, this, is a, this is a terrible mess. I want to do what's right, but I, I'm not doing it. Paul wrote that 30 years of believer, too. So I still find myself doing things that I shouldn't do. There's chasing after life where there is no life. What am I going to do? Thanks, God, for Jesus and what Jesus has done. See, as, as we go through this broken life and, and experience you know, tragedies and all the broken things um, and failures, all of that should be a reminder that, that this temporary life will never be perfect. But in his mercy and grace, he's made a way for us to get back into the relationship we had before the fall. This isn't as good as it gets, but, but see, you, you need to know that you don't need to make it your life's purpose to try and fix it or escape it. So what do you do? That's the second point. Great question, by the way. What do we do? We embrace the brokenness of our lives. And then we find comfort and life in Jesus, in God. Comfort, in the, in the Old English, the word it comes from, actually means to strengthen. You think, well, how in the world is what you're talking about? How can that make me stronger? Let's look at Paul again. This time in 2 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
Therefore I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. When I, when I realize in my own strength that I just can't make it work, but, but admit it uh, and deal with my weaknesses, that, that then in Christ I am strong because I'm trusting in him, not in me. And when I'm trusting in him, this amazing thing happens. Point three, I find comfort. We're comforted. That's what the, the promise of the beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We're comforted now as we see that Jesus has died for our sins and that we've been forgiven. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we're comfort, comforted eternally as we journey toward a place where or ultimately there will be no more mourning. Revelation 21, 4, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's where we're heading. We mourn the brokenness now because there's a realization that something's missing. And, and that something is that we were created for much more than we can experience this side of heaven. Now the, the amazing thing is, is that the power of God breaks through and we get tastes of what's to come. We get tastes all the time. That's God's goodness, that's God's favor. But, but we still are dealing in, in, in a broken world um, in a fallen world, broken planet, with broken people, and we're broken. And, and what we've been tasked with in this process is, is to help other people find Jesus. And, and that, that he wants us to do that. See, see our, our, our journey in Christ begins with this understanding that we're, we're broken, everything's broken, and we can't fix it in our own strength. We desperately need Jesus. In order for people to find life, they have to get to that. There's no life apart from that realization. We're broken, and the only fix is Jesus. He's the cure, he's the fix, he's it. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And then as we, as we look to Jesus, as we get that, that's the first beatitude, that realization, oh, we need, I need Jesus so much. Um, as, we, as we get to him, and then, then we realize what he had to do on our behalf, what he's done for us so that we can experience life now and, and forever. We, we, we mourn our brokenness, the, the realization of, of what our sin has done to Jesus and, and, and then you know, ultimately what it's done to, to us and to the world around us. And, and then as we recognize what he's done, the magnitude of what he's done that we might have life, see then, we're comforted because we realize how amazing God is. How much he loves us. The lengths that he's gone to. That even though we've messed up on our end so horrendously, he still came and continues to pursue us and love us and make a way for us. This is, this is the heart and the love of God. And when we can allow all of that to kind of work through and figure it out. So we, we don't want to get stuck until we get to the, to the part of that that, that understands the love of God for us. And that now he wants to redeem this time. Uh, and he wants to use us. Even though we still mess up. He wants us to be representatives for him. To tell other people that there's a way back from that place of emptiness into a place of life. And, and, and so we, we have his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. 
so that we can experience full and abundant now and forever life that we were created for in him and then, and then join with him in his message, in his mission of reconciling the world to him. And that's what the second one brings us to. These first two really work together. They're, they're really the foundation for life as a believer. We're broken because of our sin. Our sin put Jesus on the cross. But he went there because he loves us so much. And now he's made a way for us to be restored into relationship with God now and forever. And even though the world around us is broken, we're in his hands now and forever. He's got us. And, and he pours out his love on us, his grace, his mercy. And he says, look, I want you to tell other broken people who haven't figured this out yet that there's a way for them to have life. And so that he gives us his life in order that we can do that. And, and that's this idea of developing. And, and, and it's these two that really help us stay connected to God and, and be effective in the world around us. Because our, our, our message has to be one of the, of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of God and the lengths that God's gone to for us to be reestablished. While at the same time, you know, letting people know that they desperately need God. They can't do it without him. All that ties together and works its way out in these first two Beatitudes. And then we'll, we'll pick it up from there. But that's enough to ponder for this week I'm sure and uh, so I want you to consider those things and we'll press on from from here if you're watching my video or on TV thank you so much we appreciate your time know how valuable your time is and I'm, I'm glad you'll spend this time with us when you tune in if you can if you're in Big Pine come and visit us we'd love to meet you and see if you need prayer go to the website keysvineyard.com there's a place for prayer leave it there or you can call us we'd be happy to pray for you we hope to see you soon God bless you